Hey guys, and welcome back to Series 3 of Warriors Unite podcast with me, your host, Carolyn. In this week's episode, I am joined by Matt. Matt will take us on his journey of living with Crohn's disease, having a stoma, and how he continues to live the fullest of life while living with this condition. So I do hope you join us as us Warriors Unite. Hello, and welcome back to this week's episode of Warriors Unite podcast with me, your host, Carolyn. This week joining us, we have the lovely Matt. Hi, Matt. How are you? Yeah, good, thanks. How are you? I'm good, thanks. Matt, would you like to tell people whereabouts in the world you are? Well, yeah, um, I'm actually just south of Newcastle at the moment. Uh, I'm a Londoner uh, by birth, uh, but moved up here about two months ago. Um, And to be honest, life is so much better out of the smoke. I've, I've loved London for my whole life. I've lived there most of my life, apart from one year where I sort of had a secondment to Wales. Um, but now I'm up here. Uh, I've holidayed up this sort of part of the world my whole life uh, and I absolutely love it. I made the decision that, that time was right to move up uh, as I'm going back to study. Uh, I had options open to me of where I wanted to be, including staying in London. Um, but the northeast was where it's at for me and uh yeah it's changed my life in just eight weeks my blood pressure has reduced significantly being out of the big smoke so that's amazing um and that happened as soon i went back to london um for an appointment and it was three weeks after i'd left and blood pressure had plummeted um so yeah it's only a good thing uh everyone moves to the northeast of england it is it's amazing um and i am a londoner i love london but will I ever move back? We'll find out in the future. But at the moment, it's looking looking unlikely, just purely based on on how much more relaxing life is up here. I'm doing exactly the same job as I was doing in London, um, but I'm more chilled out overall. So I'm going to leave it over to Matt, and he will let you all know how he's getting on a daily, daily basis. Yeah, so uh, everyone, I have Crohn's disease. Uh, what is Crohn's disease? Well, it's a, it's a bowel condition uh, and bowel conditions people don't like to talk about, do they? Um, it's all poo and mucus and blood. Um, but that's all right because it happens and that's just part of life, right? Um, so Crohn's is one of the inflammatory bowel diseases. Uh, there are two main types, Crohn's and ulcerative colitis. Um, and it really started presenting itself, well, it must be 11 years ago now. Um, just more urgency to go to the toilet, going more often, um, noticing blood and mucus in the stool, um, and even throwing up. Um, and this went on for a long period of time without me taking any action whatsoever, because, you know, I'm a man and we just sort of suck it up and get on with it and don't bother doing the sensible thing and going to the doctor. Um, but eventually I did, uh, and was diagnosed very quickly uh, by the NHS and was put on all sorts of medications. But I'm gonna take it back to before diagnosis. And a few things that I really should have uh, seen the signs for, Um, as I said, I was throwing up uh, on a daily basis Um, in the mornings, I'd always blame it on something else. Um, I was walking back from a friend's house once, had incredible amounts of urgency to go uh, to the toilet didn't make it back, ended up pooing myself. Uh, lucky it was nighttime, not many people around. Uh, my best mate was walking with me at the time and we were, um, well, he, I mean, he was amazing about it. He was very cool. Uh, so, so we're walking down the street 
I say, dude, I need to go. He said, no, you don't. He's like, no, no, dude, I need to go right now. He's like, oh, we're only five minutes from home. No, dude, this is serious. Um, right, there was nowhere to go. Uh, I looked at a phone box longingly, thinking maybe I could sort of go in there. Um, decided against it. And before I knew it, it was running down my leg. Um, and uh, yeah, probably at that point, should have thought, well, it's not normal just to poo yourself out of the blue. Um, but that didn't really spark anything. Uh, then I left London, went to university in Wales uh, for a short period of time. And during that period, well, everything was fine to start with. I was going to the toilet more often, but I didn't really sort of pay much attention to it. And it was only after Christmas that my weight dropped dramatically. I must have lost four or five stone um, wow. in a very, very short space of time. Um, went home at Easter and my mum looked at me and said, what's happened? I don't know why are you like this? What 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 have you done? Um, and I sort of told her what was going on. And she told me that I needed to go to the doctors, um, which I probably put off for a little bit longer as well. But it was it was incredibly isolating, um, and can be incredibly isolating. So I was at university. It's supposed to be the best time of your life, right? Mm -hmm. For the first three months, it was. I was out all the time. I was partying, and I was sort of just working around it, managing it. Just thought it was my normal. Um, was blaming my constant urgency on not cooking food correctly, um, mm. which led to me overcooking everything. Uh, so, I mean, I was, I was basically burning food and then eating burnt food because I was so worried about food poisoning. Uh, it was definitely food poisoning. It was going on nothing else. So you were trying to rule out everything it possibly could be before you'd even go to a doctor, basically. Well, yeah, I just, I just decided it must be food poisoning. Well, it must be. I was going to the toilet a lot in the morning after I'd mm. eaten something the night before. It had to be food poisoning in my, in my mind. Uh, but of course it wasn't. Uh, ended up going to the doctors. Um, my inflammatory markers, so it is an inflammatory bowel disease, um, and your inflam markers are usually very high. Um, but not with me. Mine were what you'd have if you had a cold. Um, but lucky... I had a doctor that looked at me holistically um, and said, well, something isn't right, so let's refer you anyway. Um, so I got a referral, went in uh, for a, a scope, uh, not, not a full scope, not a colonoscopy, just a short scope, which was the most painful experience of my life. Because um, mm. these things aren't flexible. These are, these are solid rods, these ones, the, the ones <laughs> they go in with first. Um, and yes, they loop them up, but then <laughs> it's, it's not, not nice. <laughs> but you're not, you're not under any, any anesthesia or anything. Yeah. They, they haven't given you any painkillers. They just, just sort of give you gas and air and, and get on with it. Um, I've got a nurse holding my hand. I'm on my side. Doctor's behind me. <laughs> Hasn't bought me any dinner or anything. Just goes straight up there. <laughs> straight up. Away you go. And mum's just outside the curtain, bless her. And I'm, I'm sort of whining and, and, squealing and yeah it must have been really difficult from from her side I mean in fact I know it was because she's told me um to hear me like that um and then I mean they, they pump air into you as well so it's incredibly uncomfortable so you have to open everything up so you can actually have a look um then you're bloated for the next couple of days afterwards um and after they'd done that they decided they wanted to have a, a proper explore of the rest of my my colon 
Um, so I went back a few weeks later for a full colonoscopy, um, which again was incredibly uncomfortable for me because I, well, I was so inflamed um, that it, I mean, it was just, it was horrific. I had uh, all the medication they could give me. I was still awake, um, but they kept on giving me medication because um, they had to basically. Uh, and when they got right inside, they were sort of like, no wonder, no wonder you're in so much pain. I mean, I, I find colonoscopies incredibly interesting and I watch it on the screen as it's mm. going around. Um, and it, I mean, it was, it was crazy really. Um, the amount of blood and, and things like that. There was a, the polyps and it was, uh, yeah, not, not very nice. Um, but this one nurse said it was the worst she'd ever seen. And this is a small oh. hospital in Wales, but... Um, Cheers yeah, to that, love. <laughs> must have been pretty bad for someone who does that sort of thing all the time to, mm. to be able to say that. So, um, so I was originally diagnosed with ulcerative colitis. Uh, there's not many differences between Crohn's and colitis, although Crohn's can... Um, run around your whole system from your mouth all the way all the way down to your rectum whereas colitis is generally just in the colon um, but that was a general surgeon who did that first procedure and then I met up with the uh, the IBD specialist um, and he was absolutely certain that actually what we were dealing with was Crohn's disease uh, I was put on countless medications at that point. So I was thrown on uh, steroids, uh, prednisolone. Um, I was on uh, mesalazine and various other drugs to try and get it under control, um, which worked for a short while. Um, the steroids were, were a relief. And I think anyone who has been on steroids for drugs, they've got a love-hate relationship with the steroids. So if they get the dosage right, your symptoms go right down, everything feels a little bit better. Um, but if you're on them for a prolonged period of time, you get all sorts of complications out of them, uh, which weakening, weakening of bones, um, steroid spots, which are uh, fluid-filled uh, lumps on your skin. You get the moon face, which everyone loves to talk about. Basically, you turn into a hamster. Um, with big old cheeks and you, your face sort of loses its shape completely. Um, and I was on steroids. I was on, I was steroid dependent for about five years um, in total because every, every medication they tried started to work and then weaned off and didn't work mm. as much. So I had to go back on the steroids. And this was, this was a constant, um, constant part of my life for a, for a long time. Um, I was on 50 milligrams of prednisolone a day which is quite a high dose but i'm quite Very a big high. guy um and anytime i got down to 35 milligrams boom my um uh, my symptoms were, were flying again i'd have to go back up and then try and reduce again and it was a never-ending cycle really uh, for a long time um ended up moving on to the biologics so the first one i was on was infliximab uh, which did exactly the same thing. Started off really nicely, started off like it was going to work. Uh, symptoms reduced a little bit. And then that lost the battle. That wasn't working. I was moved on to uh, Adalimumab, which is also called Humera, um, which is like a, a side strain of infliximab. It's a very similar drug. Uh, but that one goes in subcutaneously. Um, 
and yet same story again started off looking all right and then dropped right off a cliff uh, I was eventually put on a drug that had only just been approved in 2015 called uh, vedalizumab which I'm actually still on now um, and that works in a very different way so the others uh, attack basically the whole body um, in order to try and sort of gain control their their biologic mm. drugs um, but then vedalizumab is different and it only targets the sort of colon area it works okay. just in a specific place so it's probably a little bit better for your body as a whole um but that didn't seem to be working and that was the back end of 2015 i went on to that and in the end i'd had enough completely had enough i avoided surgery up to that point but but now was my time and i turned around to my doctor and said cut me those are my exact words i said cut me i need it now um i've had enough uh, this just so happened to coincide with a uh, fistula uh, opening up uh, near my back passage, um, which uh, turns out that was an emergency surgery that needed to happen. Um, so I was offered, I was offered a choice really. Uh, we need to get this sorted now, the fistula, and then we'll bring you up back for another surgery to do the stoma, or we wait a couple of weeks and we do them both at the same time. Well. I didn't want to go under anesthesia oh, twice. Yeah. So let's just get it done at the same time. Um, and that's where, I mean, I've, my whole condition, I've had the same, I've had the same outlook. At least it's me and not someone else. I can deal with this and that's all right, but at least it's not someone I love because this disease is horrible. Um, but it was the point speaking to my, my doctor and him telling me that I probably wouldn't play rugby again. That was, that was the kicker for me. I played rugby since I was, well, properly since I was 13. Um, before that, I'd knocked around in the garden with my brother um, quite a lot, and we would watch it on the telly with dad. Um, but I play, rugby is probably my first love. I'm, I'm, mm not a really good player I don't play to any sort of professional standard or anything like that I'm very much a, a recreational player who likes to drink after the game but when I asked him the question will I play rugby and he said I've never heard of anyone with a stoma playing rugby before I mean that that cut me deep and that was the only point that I got emotional but this was for my health and okay uh, I'll still be able to play cricket not a problem I'll go into coaching or I'll become a ref or, or whatever else it might be. Uh, went under the knife a couple of weeks later, absolutely petrified. Never had had major surgery before. The only surgery before was a, a removal of an ingrown toenail. Uh, and I was nervous before that one. Um, so they were, they were properly going into me on this one. And I remember sitting there in the waiting room before, uh, before the surgery and, and I was nervous. But I was all right. Uh, I went into the room so they could put my cannulas in. Um, but you don't eat or drink for ages before these types of surgeries. Uh, so my veins decided to hide. Um, and they hit very, very well. And uh, the nurses couldn't get a line in and they tried multiple times. Uh, they got a, a junior doctor in uh, who managed to eventually get a line in. Um, but it took a while. Uh, and then walking through the doors to go towards towards surgery. Well, I think I made their surgery list late that day uh, because I needed to go to the toilet. <laughs> the Crohn's kicked <laughs> up and 
and I said it was literally as I was going into into the, the sort of prep room so I had to run back out go to the toilet and I was sort of sat there up, head all over the place and then I eventually did walk back down um, and I was in a right panic and they gave me I don't know what drug it was uh, but something to calm me down mm. and then I woke up however many hours later and as I was coming out of, of the anesthesia um, I had a very vivid dream that I had panicked so much and I'd sort of gone mad and they, they couldn't do the surgery on me um, and this was kind of in my head until I sort of properly woke up and realised no the surgery had been done it was all right and, and I was coming through and that was quite interesting actually at that point so I'm in the I'm in the recovery room uh, just had major surgery and I look across and I see a face that I recognise um, and it was actually a lad who was in the year above me at school I didn't know him very well I, I didn't know him at all uh, I think I may have known his name at one point but he was one of the nurses in the recovery room um, so I sort of called him over and, and sort of said that I knew him from school. Mm. And I mean, he had no recollection of me whatsoever. Um, but it was, it was actually quite comforting to see, see a face that I knew, even though I didn't know him very well. So that was, that was quite interesting. And I thought from this point, things will be all right now. We'll, we'll all settle down. But oh no, uh, of course they didn't. Um, so I'm in recovery. I, I'm, I'm garbed to the wards. And it's only supposed to be a few days before I'm back on my feet. And mm. uh so first things first, I've got an epidural in. Uh, turns out they had too much of the medication going through me. Uh, so I got something called motor block. Uh, so they, were, they really wanted me to, to stand up and just get to the chair that was a metre that way. Um, tried to get up and uh, fell straight to the floor like a sack of spuds going down. Legs just gave way from underneath mm. me. Um, and then they realised that that was a problem and they, they reduced the amount of, of medication going through until eventually I could walk. Um, but there was actually very little passing into my, my new stoma bag. Um, and when you first have surgery, they give you clear bags uh, so they can see what's going on. They can see mm -hmm. how the stoma is doing. Um, and not much was coming through, but a lot was coming back out of my mouth. I was throwing up quite a lot. Oh, wow. And this is partially digested food so I'm essentially throwing up uh, feces at this point mm. uh, which was horrendous uh, to say the least um, and they thought it was probably just the swelling uh, from the surgery sort of blocking it off a little bit that'll settle down it'll be all right um, they decided to stick an NG tube in to try and clear contents of my stomach instead of me throwing up uh, this is this is relatively funny actually um, mum hates medical stuff. Mum is a psychologist. Uh, right, okay. Any kind of uh, sort of uh, physical medicine because she doesn't like that sort of thing. So she, she's a doctor of psychology, not a, a doctor of medicine. Um, so she's watching me. I've got this NG tube in. I hated it, couldn't stand it. It was flicking around the back of my throat, didn't like it. So I, I was getting them to take it out. And they, they were reluctant, but I wasn't having it anymore. So they, they went to take it out. As it's coming out, uh, mum's watching. She's there for me. She's very supportive. Um, until her blood pressure drops off and she passes out through the curtain, um, smacks her head on the floor, um, and they call a crash cart because her blood pressure's bottomed out. Her, her heart rate's gone. Gone through the roof. 
Um, so they called a crash car. They called a crash team. Uh, and then my brother comes back into the into the ward, um, and he doesn't like blood either. So, oh, his, okay. <laughs> so his blood pressure starts going, and he starts going pale. Um, and the doctor sort of turns to him and say, "No, you are not passing. It. <laughs> Sit down on that chair." Um, oh my God. So we nearly had we nearly had three of us uh, sort of in beds, but mum ended up being in hospital overnight with them keeping an eye on her in a different part of the hospital for concussion and. Uh, she had to have, I think she might have had brain scans because of it, because they, she probably mm. smashed the bed on the floor. Um, they took me down for a scan one night uh, to see what was going on. They wanted to, to check the area. I can't remember. I, might have been an MRI. I can't remember what sort of scan it was. Um, but they took me down and I'm waiting there. And I've got a, a night porter with me who wasn't interested at all uh, in me uh, and was just sort of on their phone. And I said, I'm, I'm going to be sick. You need to get me a kidney dish. I'm going to be sick. Oh, they took no attention. They paid no attention to me. Um, but were duly slightly annoyed when, in fact, I did throw up uh, all over the place, all over me, all over the floor. Um, and I, I turned to him and I said, "I told you, I told you this was going to happen. You should have, you should have helped me out there." Uh, went in and had the scan, uh, and then the next day, my surgeon, uh, a very prominent surgeon of, of IBD, he's, he's a brilliant mind um came in to see me uh, and he had seen from the scans what the problem was and basically um the hole in my abdominal wall wasn't big enough uh, so it was sort of causing a constriction um and it was purely because of playing years of rugby and cricket i may not have a six pack on the outside but i have a strong abdomen um mm. and stronger than people he normally does surgery on uh, so he needed to make the hole wider but just hadn't and to be fair to him he was brilliant he came up and said this has happened I'm really sorry I said oh no don't worry about it it's not your fault and he went no no it is my fault and I'm sorry and we're going to fix this this afternoon at three o'clock oh god so um but this, this time they, they wheeled me down to surgery and I had all my lines in and everything already I'd already been through it. So I was a lot more relaxed this time around. It wasn't sort of the panic of the first one. And I knew what to expect by this point. Um, I had already seen the stoma nurses and been practicing putting my bags on myself and, and things like that. So um, I was a lot more calm this time. And he went in and surgery went well. Uh, next day, everything started passing through like it should do. And then we got to a bank holiday weekend. Uh, so I've been in hospital for nearly two weeks now and it's bank holiday. So they're sort of working on skeleton crew at the hospital. I've been told I could go home in a few days if everything was fine. I decided everything was fine and I was going home. Um, <laughs> I was fine with, with my, yeah. my appliances. I was fine uh, in myself and I just wanted to be at home now. I think, I think I thought I'd recover from surgery really quickly. I don't know why, but I thought I'd just bounce back. Uh, and maybe I would have just from one, but I had two major surgeries in the yeah. space of a week and a half. Um, and it took me a long time to sort of get back to anywhere near sort of strong or fit or, or whatever it might be. Um, and again, in hospital, I'd lost weight because I wasn't able to eat anything. So my weight dropped very quickly in hospital. So I had to put that back on. Um, and I received some really bad advice when it comes down to food uh, from everyone on the wards. So they'd just seen me losing weight. Um, and they said, eat whatever you want, eat cakes, eat biscuits, eat crisps, 
sort of low uh, lo- foods that are low fiber. They're not going to get stuck anywhere and mm. you're going to put on weight from them. Red rag to a ball, that is, to, to, to someone like me who's always loved his food. Um, so I piled on the weight, absolutely piled on the weight. I went up towards 20 stone. Um, wow. Before surgery, I was about 16 stone, which is probably sort of a level pegging for me. Um, but I didn't know what a normal weight was for me because I hadn't been a normal weight for so many years. I'd been 10 stone, 12 stone, 14 stone, 16 stone, sort of all over the place. I, I didn't know what it was. Um, so yeah, I, I smashed in the cakes and I put on the put on the pounds. Um, and that was really difficult. I, I, I had seen a, a dietitian, but and, and they had told me some some great things uh, how to deal with it. But I had also been told that I could eat whatever I liked. Mm. And for years, I got into bad eating habits because essentially I was eating to survive at that point. I was eating just to keep weight on uh, because so much was going out of me. Um, and I could eat whatever I liked then because because I never put on weight. Yeah. Um, because I was so sick. Uh, so I just I got into some really, really bad eating habits, like terrible. And it's taken me years to get back out of that, actually. Uh, and I occasionally have a day where I'll, I'll smash a load of stuff. But otherwise, I'm sort of back on an even kill. But it took a long time for me to get my head around sort of what normal eating was again. It took, mm-hmm. took a long time to get there. Um, but we're there now. Um, actually, I'll tell you what as well, moving up north, I've lost weight. I've lost, I've lost a good few kilos in only a few weeks because I'm happier here, I think. So yeah. I'm, not, I'm not comfy eating. Um, so, I mean, that's, that's quite something. So after the surgery, I went through a really strange time. So within six months of me having surgery, uh, a five and a half year relationship broke up um, for various reasons. Uh, we, we wanted different things from life. Mm-hmm. But also I think we both, after so many years of uh, my Crohn's and, and she had mental health stuff going on, we were both tired mm-hmm. and we both thought that the surgery would sort of boost me straight away and, and I'd be, I'd be like, healthy again and I'd be um but it took a really long time um to get back to anything like like normal it took six or seven eight months to get back there um so that relationship broke up and then and then I've got to deal with the world of dating which had changed dramatically in those five years so I was I was 20 when me and me and this person started going out 2021 and we've been together for so long so things like tinder had appeared and all, all these dating apps and you don't <laughs> meet someone randomly like them no. and go on a date anymore suddenly you've got to swipe left and right and come up with witty lines which an i'm, yeah. at all. I'm great just an in, isn't it just yeah i find it though the same myself it's just an interview like even you're writing these bios yeah. and then you're talking to people and you're talking to a few people and you're repeating the same thing over and over again that eventually i learned to just um like you know, crop, copy and, and paste. Oh, really? So I, so I didn't brilliant. have to be doing it again. So yeah, oh, just, it's, a stra- it's a strange world. So I came up with this line that I, that I used for a while. Uh, what chocolate are you, white, milk or dark? And there was nothing behind it. It was just a question. But people would overthink it on the other end. And I'd be like, no, no, it's just, just what would you be or what would you like more? Like nothing else. 
it was, it was quite a good conversation starter. But that was strange. Like the whole dating thing had, had changed. And I'm, I'm a person's person. Put me in front of someone, mm. I'm great. Uh, mm. Not so great over over text messages or whatever. Um, but that was really interesting to see people's reactions to to my reality. People's reactions to to my condition or or, or the fact that I've got a stoma, which is there's loads of people with them, but you just don't know about it. Um, but I decided very early on just to be open and upfront and honest about it because if someone isn't going to like it, they're not going to like it. That's up to them. And I don't want their negativity anywhere near me. Um, so I was talking to, to one woman uh, and she seemed nice to me, we were getting on really well. And I, so it was before we had met. Um, so I broached the subject and told her, I said, look, I've got a stoma. Um, and it was odd. She sort of dropped off a little bit she stopped messaging so much she didn't uh, she wasn't as, as interested but I'd already booked tickets for the theatre for us to to go out on this first date and I don't know whether it was that she just had an awful personality in terms of she was boring as out or whether it was that um I had put her off so much by the fact that I've got a bag of poo attached to me I don't know what it was um but that was the worst date of my life and, you know, you go through the motions at the end yeah. where you're not going to have a kiss, but you sort of say, oh, you know, I'll message you. And I think we both walked away from that thinking, never going to happen. Um, luck. Well, exactly. And I, I mean, I tried my best. I, did, I really tried my best to, to, to be charming and, and all that sort of stuff, which normally comes quite naturally to me. But I just couldn't with this person. Um, yeah, that was a, a particularly funny one. I'm actually going to ask you this question. Um, without trying to pry pry too much, but sure you gave me out the information anyway, so you don't have the job for me. Um, about dating because a lot of people because having conditions like these are very isolated. So dating and all that it can be very isolated. I was going to ask, has it put or had it put you off? But obviously not if you're if you're still swiping left and going on dating. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm not now. I'm not <laughs> but, um, yeah, no. So no, no, I don't think it should, but. Mm-hmm. Um, I, mean, I, I don't know whether I'm allowed to swear on this podcast, but I'm. Oh, you can fuck as much as you like, as yeah. long as we don't need to see it. You're okay. <laughs> Whatever your situation, you're going to meet arseholes, aren't you? You're going yeah, to meet arseholes, and arseholes are going to be arseholes. Whether you've got a stoma, whether you're faint when you're standing up too long, or whether you're just someone else on the street, that uh, mm-hmm. people will show their colours eventually, anyway. Um, which is why I'm always honest and open about it. Because if they're going to be like that, they're going to be like that. Let's throw it out there and we'll see what happens. Um, since I had my stoma, since I was diagnosed, obviously I was with, with that person for, for a very mm-hmm. long time. I've been with other people for periods of time since then as well. And the ones that actually care about you in any sort of way don't care. They just That's do crazy. not care. Mm-hmm. I, was, I was in bed with uh, one of my exes just sleeping. Um and my bag leaked and to be fit for all of her faults she was absolutely brilliant just cracked on not an issue didn't care in the slightest mm. uh yeah absolutely fine and you get people who have that sort of mindset where it doesn't matter like what a little bit of poo's got on my bed it, it's not a problem because you as a person are who i want to be with at this moment exactly. in time Mm-hmm. versus someone who'd have an absolute freak out about the fact that you've got a bag of poo on you that they can't smell that they can't see 
mm-hmm. that has no bearing on their life and actually if anything yeah. has made my life a million times better so okay. I actually be happy about that fact and not be pissing and moaning about the fact do you know what I mean it's just yeah. it's ridiculous that some people think that it's actually an issue when it's it's not, mm, it's not um, yeah I think I think that that anyone who is like that just isn't worth your time people out there like and, and that's whether you've got a chronic condition or not if someone's going to be yeah. be like that about anything get rid of them you don't need that negativity yeah. in your life and they can find someone just as negative for themselves yeah it is, and it is very true and it's good that you put it that you brought it up like and saved that point there because when this does go out it will help a lot of people because I know from looking through the community that a lot of people get terrible high anxiety worrying over this like, you know, am I going to be on my own? It's never bothered me. I've been diagnosed with this condition 17 years and it never bothers me. And I, like you, I bring up my whole condition of pot. When I start talking to someone that obviously that I'm comfortable about, I'm not going waving a flag when, you know, when I'm on a dating app. And I do tell them, and it is true, um, the person should see you for who you are, you know what I mean? The whole, the whole actual person there. And if they're not, they're not the person for you. Just tell them to jog on and keep moving. Yeah, exactly. I've been told that I'm not playing rugby again. Uh, and that's that's devastating for me uh, just to throw back to where we were Mm. Um, and it was it was actually after the breakup of the long relationship that uh, well I'd seen someone online who had a stoma who was playing rugby now I don't know whether he was playing contact or he's playing rugby league uh, slightly different variant on the game Um, and I reached out to him and I said how are you doing this and he gave me bits of advice. He said, use Bravitate, wear, a, wear a, a hernia belt, sort of little bits like that. Um, but it took me a while before I sort of really thought about playing. Uh, and actually, the catalyst for me playing was me being pissed up in a greasy chicken shop at midnight and an email coming around from the team captain at the time saying, is anyone available? I was drunk. And I thought I was a superhero and I emailed back saying, yes, I'm in, I'm in. This is nine months after retiring out of the game. I've done no training since I played a bit of cricket, but that's about it. Um, Wake up the next day with an absolutely astonishing hangover, um, wishing that two o'clock and kickoff would never come around. But I did it. I went out and I, I, I played the next day and I mean, we, we lost uh, quite heavily that day against one of our local rivals. Uh, I scored a try um, and I played pretty well for someone who had gone through what I'd gone through in the in the nine months sort of before that. And I never looked back. That was it. I was playing rugby again. And all it took was me to be drunk in a chicken shop to do what is actually really stupid, right? I'm playing rugby with uh, a hernia already like let's be honest that's that's what a stone is it's a hernia they pull something out through through muscle that's a hernia um and people ask me now they're like aren't you scared of getting a hernia no not at all because i was told by my doctors at some point if you have a stoma for long enough you are getting a hernia there's no questions about it there will be mm. a hernia so if that's going to happen why not doing something that i love doing instead of just walking around and and, whatever. and it's not going to be the same for everyone. Of course it's not. And I had a good level of fitness before this happened and I've always had a strong core. Um, but I've, I've learned different ways that I can do it and be cool. So uh, I've been hit directly in the stoma by a shoulder. Does it hurt? 
yeah and no it's an odd one because the stoma itself it's a piece of bowel bowel doesn't have nerve endings in it um so the stoma doesn't hurt but for the men out there you ever been kicked in the nuts yeah it's that feeling it's inside it's in the pit of your stomach that's where it hurts um and I've been hit by a cricket ball a few times in, in the stoma as well. Exactly the same feeling. And cricket balls are five and a half ounces of cork and leather and, and stuff. Um, but it's it doesn't last for long. And obviously the adrenaline's incredibly high at that point as well. So it's not really an issue. Um, so basically you can, what you're saying, it's great that you're able to get back into sport because that's a big impact in your life. That um, you can go and do these things, but know your own limitations, know your own body and be aware of that at all times. Yeah, I'm not saying for someone who's never, ever played rugby before that the thing <laughs> you need to do is go straight into a high octane game straight away. It's not going to happen. You've got to build up to whatever it is. And as I say, I was a complete idiot going back to play the way I did. And I sh never should, but I should have at least gone to a few training sessions beforehand. Um, but once I'd said yes, well, I couldn't let them down, could I? So I had to go. Um, but yeah, if there's something you've done before, so long as you're in decent health at the time, why not give it a go? And not everyone's going to be able to do it because everyone's situation is different. different yeah. But you can do what you can do and, and see what you can do because you don't know unless you give it a go. Um, there's so you seem to be managing everything um, as well to the best as you, as you possibly can, which is brilliant. You know, you haven't let it stop you, which is a, it's a good thing to show people as well, because a lot of times when we have illnesses, we say, I can't do this, I can't do that. You can do something. You just might have to tweak the way you do it or go a different way about doing it but I think this can be done. So I just want to say thanks a million, Matt. If anybody would like to follow your story, where can they find you on your socials? No phone numbers or addresses, please. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, um, I'm on Instagram. It's at Clarky underscore rugby underscore Crohn's. Um, yeah, it's pretty much just there, to be honest. Uh, yeah, if you want to want to see more, I tell some funny stories over there. Uh, yeah, I'm pretty lighthearted about about my condition. Uh, I haven't done a video in ages and I generally do, well, I did generally do videos. So I'm going to try and get back to that soon. Um, but yeah, check me out over there. Uh, I'll see you there, guys. Excellent. Thanks a million for your time. I'm so super, super happy that you've done this because it really is going to help so many people to come forward and talk about it because people probably just look at you and say, yeah, there he's off down the road for pints there, the rugby player. Mm -hmm. But have no, they just have no clue what's going on in people's personal life. So I think it's right. super important. Thank Very you for nice. your Thank time. You for having me. Thank you for having me. And we shall keep in contact and catch up and see how you're getting on with yourself. Definitely. If there's been, if there's been any more swipe, swipe lifts. <laughs> Take Cheers. care, Matt. Thanks a million. Thank you again to this episode's guest Matt for being so open and honest and sharing his incredible journey with us. I'd like to thank everybody for tuning in to this episode and if you would like to continue on watching Matt and his journey you can find him on Instagram at Clarkey underscore rugby underscore Crohn's. Thank you for all tuning in and we do hope you will come back again and join us soon as us warriors unite. <laughs>